Hey, Awinder listeners, welcome to another episode. I'm Glory, and I'll be your host today. I'll guide you through the newest research on genetic variants and biomarkers, as well as differential mRNA and microRNA regulation related to Alzheimer's disease and familial AD. If genetics is your jam, stay tuned for a fascinating episode. Welcome to Awinder, a podcast where we summarize the latest publications on Alzheimer's disease for you, so you can spend more time doing awesome research. For every month, you'll find a series of episodes by theme, and each comes with a bibliography. Whether you're in the lab, on the bus, or cooking your meal, we hope you find this podcast useful and accessible. Keep an eye out for our September series episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for the next few weeks. In today's episode, we'll explore different variants and genes related to AD pathology that may make you more or less susceptible to developing the disease. Genetics can be a helpful tool for identifying individuals at high risk for developing Alzheimer's disease. And we know that many, many genetic variants can possibly contribute to the genetic risk of AD. For a large chunk of this episode, we'll talk about these variants and single nucleotide polymorphisms, which I'll refer to as SNPs, that have been found in various populations that can be correlated with neurodegenerative diseases. You'll also hear about new genetic biomarkers that can be used to track the disease. The second half of the episode is packed with several different topics related to changes in gene expression, including microRNA regulation, new tools for analyzing disease genes, and gene regulatory mechanisms. You won't want to miss any of it. We have 19 papers to cover, so I'll split them up into 7 smaller sections that we'll go through with one break in between. A few notes before the show. Our episodes are unbiased summaries based on the abstracts of peer-reviewed papers found on PubMed, and here at Aminder, we don't search for details in the papers like impact factor. We also don't check the methods or data in any detail. We just report what the abstract states. This is meant to provide you with an overview, but if you want to follow up on anything you hear today, we encourage you to find the papers in the bibliography in our show notes and give them a proper read. Even though we host quite a few episodes every month, we can't cover all the literature that's been released. So what we do is publish all the papers that we don't cover in our free bibliographies that you can also find in our show notes. Before we get into the science, I want to give a quick shout out to our newest sponsor, the Canadian Consortium on Neurodegeneration and Aging, for their financial support. Aminder requires funding for equipment, a subscription to a podcast hosting platform, and other necessities for running the podcast, so we're super grateful to share the sponsor. You'll hear more about them and what they do throughout our episodes, and we'll make a note on the research that they funded. But in case you're curious, this does not affect the content we curate, like how we select papers, how we cover them, or whether we endorse the papers or not. One last thing before we start, I'm recording from a busy downtown, so that just means the street is a little bit noisy. So please bear with me if you hear any sirens or other distracting sounds. Sorry in advance. Now let's get into the science. We're going to kick off this show with a section on genetic variants in AD, which has the most papers today all about recently explored genes that pose a risk for the disease or could even be protective against AD. Paper number one is titled, A Novel Heterozygous Missense Variant in the Chow1 Gene in a Family with Alzheimer's Disease. The valine 67 isoleucine variant promotes the interaction of Chow1 and amyloid beta protein precursor. You can find this paper in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease by first author Nan and last author Takeyama from the University of Yamanashi in Japan. In this abstract, the authors talk about their work related to the Chao1 gene in a Japanese population. This gene is involved in the formation and the assembly of iron sulfur proteins and has been previously linked to dementia. Here they report a novel heterozygous variant of the gene. 
and find that it increases interaction with immature A-beta precursor protein, but not with the mature or soluble form. With that, they conclude that the identified Chow1 variant may be involved in A-beta precursor protein processing and have an important role in memory and behavior. Similar to the previous paper, this next one also describes genetic variants important in AD. Particularly, here the scientists focus on the TREM2 gene. This gene provides instructions for making a protein called triggering receptor expressed on myeloid cells 2. More on that in paper number 2 entitled Alternative Splicing Regulation of Low-Frequency Genetic Variants in Exon 2 of TREM2 in Alzheimer's Disease by Splicing-Based Aggregation. The first and last authors are Han and Lee from the University of Utah School of Medicine in Salt Lake City in the U.S. It was published in the International Journal of Molecular Sciences. This study highlights the TREM2 gene and its low-frequency variants and their effects on alternative splicing in AD. Whole genome sequencing and RNA-seq data from three brain regions, the prefrontal cortex, frontal pole, and the inferior frontal regions, were compared between cognitively normal elders and AD patients belonging to two independent cohorts in this paper. Looking at the data, the authors highlight an exon-skipping event in the second exon of the TREM2 gene. This exon, they found, was skipped more frequently in people having at least one low-frequency variant that caused loss of function in a splicing regulatory variant. Also, individuals with high versus low risk of second exon skipping showed differential gene expression, and these genes were enriched in immune-related pathways. This method, which they called splicing-guided aggregation method, may therefore be useful in studying low-frequency variants that are important in the disease. Now we're diving into variants and SNPs in the metalloproteinase genes that may play a role in AD with paper number three. The title is Association of Polymorphisms of the Tissue Inhibitors of Metalloproteinases 1 and 2 with Alzheimer's Disease in Taiwan. This paper was published in the journal Current Alzheimer's Research by first author Ho and last author Chen, who are from the Changzheng Memorial Hospital in Taiwan. Matrix metalloproteinases, or MMPs for short, are enzymes that are able to degrade components of the extracellular matrix. Along with their tissue inhibitors, they have a vital role in determining neuronal loss and the pathophysiology of AD. In this particular paper, the scientists examined the associations between genetic variants of different MMPs, MMP2, MMP9, and their tissue inhibitors, also called TIMP1 and TIMP2, with AD. They recruited around 200 probable AD patients and roughly 300 control subjects from a Taiwan population and compared them against a validation cohort of roughly 750 subjects from a Taiwan biobank. They performed multivariate logistic regression after adjusting for covariates like sex, age, hypertension, diabetes, and alcohol use. They also analyzed the association between genotypes, allele frequencies, and SNP-associated AD hereditary models, and performed permutation tests with 1,000 replicates. From their experiments, they saw that the TIMP2-AA genotype was inversely correlated with AD susceptibility and had a protective effect against AD. Read more about their results in the abstract. You can find more details in the episode notes. Like our last genetic variant study, paper number 4 identifies new associations between genetic loci and AD, here with a focus on genes involved in endocytosis. You can find this paper in the PLOS Genetics Journal under the title Rare variants in the endocytic pathway are associated with Alzheimer's disease, its related phenotypes, and functional consequences. 
The first and last authors are Jeanne and Sewell from the University of California, Los Angeles, in the United States. The aim of this work was to look at the effects of rare variants in the endocytic pathway on AD. The endocytic pathway has been reported to have a contributing role in AD, with recent genome-wide association studies identifying many risk loci enriching to this particular biological pathway. Here, the researchers ran a rare variant gene set burden analysis using endocytic pathway genes on over 3,000 individuals with European ancestry from three whole genome studies. They report a significant association between rare variant burden and AD, and they replicated these results in other independent datasets as well. The identified genes were also linked to neurofibrillary tangles, age-related outcomes, risk for brain damage, and earlier age of onset and death. Looking particularly at AD and neurofibrillary tangles, they found three important genes, Ancrin repeat domain 13D, HLA-A, and SLC26A7 genes. The abstract goes into some detail about their observations here, but for the sake of time, I'll just mention this. They examined differential expression of these three genes between AD and controls by combining bulk and single-cell RNA-seq data obtained from postmortem brain tissues. By doing this, they hope to shed light on transcriptional alterations at both the bulk and single cell level, and this in turn can help inform further research and therapy. We're jumping from endocytosis to vascular dementia with paper number 5, titled The Role of Vascular Dementia-Associated Genes in Patients with Alzheimer's Disease, a large case control study in the Chinese population. This paper was published in the journal CNS Neuroscience and Therapeutics. The first and last authors are Xiao and Shen, from Central South University in Shangsha, China. This work explores the link between vascular dementia-associated genes and AD in a Chinese population. Eight vascular dementia-related genes were screened via targeted sequencing in a cohort of, of over 3,500 individuals, comprising of AD patients and cognitive normal controls. The variants were grouped into common and rare variants based on the minor allele frequency which is the frequency at which the second most common allele occurs in a given population. The authors performed common and rare variant association studies, as well as age at onset and mini mental state examination association studies, using the open source whole genome association analysis toolset called PLINK 1.9. Furthermore, sequence kernel association test optimal was additionally performed for gene-based aggregation testing of rare variants. Read more about the methods in the abstract. Important covariates like sex, age, and APOE status were also accounted for in all of the analyses. From their work, they found that common variants in the collagen 4A1 gene may be associated with AD. They also identify some important rare variants that are potentially important in AD. If you're curious, check out the full paper for the specific variants. We're diverging a bit here to talk about a paper that describes an allele repeat that may be important in neurocognitive pathologies. This is the sixth paper of this episode, and it's titled Natural Selection at the RASCEF1C GGC Repeat in Human and Divergent Genotypes in Late-Onset Neurocognitive Disorder. You can find this paper in Scientific Reports. The first and last authors are Jafarian and Ohadi from University of Social Welfare and Rehabilitation Sciences in Tehran, Iran. Short tandem repeats are simple repeat sequences that have evolutionary and pathological importance. They have been linked to late-onset neurocognitive disorders like AD and Parkinson's disease. One such short tandem repeat is a neuron-specific gene, RASCEF1C. This gene has 13 repeats of GGC spanning its core promoter and 5' untranslated region, or UTR. 
The scientists sequenced this gene in over 250 subjects, comprising of patients with neurocognitive disorders and healthy controls. They found that the 6-repeat allele was more frequent in controls, followed by patients with neurocognitive disorders. There was also enrichment of other divergent genotypes, those that lack the 6-repeat allele, which were present in the patient group but not in the controls. The authors also made comparisons between primate and non-primate species based on Ensemble 103. They found that in primates, the GGC region of this gene is present beyond two repeats and is maximum length in humans. With that, they conclude that there may be a natural selection for the 6-repeat allele of this gene in humans, with divergent alleles present in the neurocognitive disorder patient group. We're now going to close off this section with a massive genome-wide association study that will hopefully help us understand Alzheimer's risk loci better in the future. This is paper number 7, and the title is A Genome-Wide Association Study with 1,126,563 Individuals Identifies New Risk Loci for Alzheimer's Disease. It was published in the journal Nature Genetics. The first and last authors are Whiteman and Posthuma from VU Amsterdam and Amsterdam University in the Netherlands. If you're listening to our podcast, you probably already understand why a large sample size is important in study design. Yes, it is because larger samples more closely approximate the population. Here the scientists employ the same principle. They performed a genome-wide association study of over a million subjects and showed that increased sample size allows us to identify new AD-related genetic loci that we may have missed in prior studies that relied on smaller sample sizes. More to the point, they show that microglia, immune cells, and protein catabolism are important in late-onset AD. Overall, they hope that these results combined with larger studies in the future can help identify other genetic variants important in the disease. Our next section focuses on the quest to identify genetic biomarkers for AD, which can help us diagnose the disease earlier and also understand the genetic basis of the related pathologies. More on this in paper number 8, titled Association of the MAL-B RS1799836 Single Nucleotide Polymorphism and ApoE E4 Allele in Alzheimer's Disease. The first author is Babic Leko and the last is Simic from Zagreb Medical School in Croatia. It was published in the journal Current Alzheimer Research. As you can probably guess from the title, the focus of this paper is on the enzyme monoamine oxidase B, or MAL-B. It is normally involved in the process of dopamine degradation and is found to be upregulated in AD. In a previous work, this group saw that CSF A-beta 1-42 levels were reduced in patients carrying a particular A allele in MAL-B polymorphism. This polymorphism regulates MAL-B transcription, translation, and activity. In the present work, they compare MAL-B polymorphism and ApoE, a well-known risk factor for AD. Their cohort included around 250 subjects, encompassing AD, mild cognitive impairment, and other dementia patients, as well as healthy controls. The authors then performed Tachman SNP genotyping to evaluate MAL-B and ApoE polymorphisms, and they saw that the frequency of ApoE carriers is elevated in patients who have this MAL-B polymorphism, suggesting that this may be a genetic biomarker of AD and also a potential therapeutic target. Rather than zoning in on a specific gene of interest, this next paper, which is the ninth for this episode, describes a new technology for finding new biomarkers for AD. The title is DNA-based smart reagent for detecting Alzheimer's-associated microRNAs. The authors are Chandrasekharan and Halvorsen from the RNA Institute, University of Albany, and State University of New York in the U.S. This paper was published in the journal ACS Sensors. 
Here the scientists came up with a new technology called the miracles assay. <laughs> Love the name. From the abstract, we know that this method works by detecting microRNAs in a single step and looping in downstream DNA nanoswitches and also reports their on-off status through an electrophoretic readout. The authors claim that this method is different from other methods. Here they could detect native microRNAs without amplification or labeling steps, which often requires costly enzymes, reagents, and equipment. They also highlight a well-known AD-related microRNA, which is MIR-107. They were able to show high sensitivity with the limit of detection close to 8FM, as well as specific and simultaneous detection of four different microRNAs of the same family. They studied 56 AD microRNAs overall and saw that four had differences in RNA extracts in healthy versus AD brains. Be sure to read more about this smart reagent, as they like to call it, in the full paper for all the details. Okay folks, let's take a short break here to digest everything that we've heard thus far, and get ready for the second half of the episode. Here's a word from one of our sponsors. Nearly one million older Canadians live with a form of dementia. This number is expected to double within 10 years, and sadly no solutions exist yet to dramatically reduce these numbers. It has to stop. Research can help solve this problem. We are 350 researchers fully dedicated towards preventing and finding a cure to dementia, and to improve care to those living with dementia. We are the Canadian Consortium on Neurodegeneration in Aging. The solution to dementia could be closer than you think. We're back now with part two of this episode. This upcoming group of papers will address changes in gene expression and other changes in RNA associated with Alzheimer's disease. Up next, we have a paper where the scientists present the case of a proband. Like me, if you're unfamiliar with the term, a proband is the first person in a family to receive genetic counseling and or testing for suspected hereditary risk. A proband may or may not be affected with the disease in question. So keeping that in mind, let's see what their analysis shows. This is paper number 10, titled Early Onset Cerebral Amyloid Angiopathy and Alzheimer's Disease Related to an APP Locus Triplication. The first and last authors are Grangion and Nicolas from Normandy University in France. It was published in the journal Neurology Genetics. As I mentioned earlier, this is a case study of an individual, the proband, who at age 39 developed severe episodic memory deficits and had AD-typical CSF biomarkers and multiple microbleeds. Similarly, his father, who would later be diagnosed with cerebral amyloid angiopathy, or CAA, had seizures and repeated cerebral hemorrhages from age 37. Biopsy results also showed that he had high perivascular amyloid deposits. Given his history and disease risk, the authors wanted to study APP locus triplication and its relative mRNA expression in the proband's blood, and then compared the mRNA levels to 10 controls and 9 patients carrying APP duplications. Using PCR and FISH assays and comparative genomics, they found 4 copies of a roughly 500 kilobase region encompassing the whole APP gene region. This suggested that the genotype was three copies per one copy, which corresponds to APP locus triplication. They also saw that APP mRNA levels were doubled in the proband, 
and that there was a 1.8-fold increase in APP duplication carriers compared to controls. Thus, the authors suggest that this study may be evidence that increased APP leads to amyloid beta aggregation and subsequent early-onset AD and cerebral amyloid angiopathy. Shifting from gene copies to long non-coding RNAs, we have paper number 11 titled Differential Expression of Long Non-Coding RNAs in the Hippocampus of Mice Exposed to PM2.5 in Dalian, China. You can find this paper in the journal Environmental Science and Pollution Research. The first and last authors are Li and Song from Dalian Medical University in China. In the present study, the authors explore the role that PM2.5 exposure plays in forming learning and memory deficits. Just to give you some context, fine particulate matter, which is what they call PM2.5, is an air pollutant that is a concern for people's health when levels in the air are high. So increased levels of this pollutant is cause for concern. For this study, they established a long-term PM2.5 exposure mouse model and looked at mRNA and long non-coding RNA expression in the hippocampus. Compared to the control group, the mice with PM2.5 exposure had dysregulated levels of almost 480 mRNAs and just over 150 long non-coding RNAs. Some important pathways that were top hits include ECM receptor interactions and immune system and coagulation pathways, and these were identified through a long non-coding RNA co-expressed analysis based on the KEG and Gene Ontology, or GO, databases. In the abstract, they also mention a few genes that were related to microglia. Check out the abstract for all of the gene names. But overall, their research suggests that dysregulation of microglia-related long non-coding RNA may be crucial in fine particulate matter exposure-related impairment. Back onto the topic of mRNA, with paper number 12, titled A Transcriptome-Wide Association Study of Alzheimer's Disease Using Prediction Models of Relevant Tissue Identifies Novel Candidate Susceptibility Gene. This paper was published in the journal Genome Medicine. The first and last authors are Sun and Wu from Longyan University in China and University of Hawaii at Manoa in Honolulu. This work describes a transcriptome-wide association study to understand the associations between AD susceptibility loci and Alzheimer's, which is currently lacking in the field. The scientists use something called utmost prediction models. This stands for Unified Test for Molecular Signatures. They apply this model on 10 brain tissue samples that were potentially related to AD to find new AD loci and target genes in over 70,000 cases and over 380,000 controls of European ancestry. On further analysis, they report that 21 genes at 9 loci may be causal genes. Future work can shed more light on the importance of these identified genes in AD. In this next section, we have a couple of papers on microRNAs and changes in their regulation that are linked to AD. More on this with paper number 13, which focuses on microRNA 124. The title is Neuronal Dynamics and MicroRNA Signaling Differ Between SH, SY, 5Y, APP, SWE, and PSEN1 mutant iPSC-derived AD models upon modulation with microRNA-124 mimic and inhibitor. The first and last authors are Garcia and Breitz from Research Institute for Medicines in Portugal. It was published in the journal Cells. MicroRNA-124 is a critical player in determining many neuronal functions. However, its precise role in AD is poorly understood due to the lack of models that accurately capture the disease. So here the scientists use two models, human sushi APP695 Swedish neuroblastoma cells 
and PSEN1 mutant iPSC-derived neurons to study microRNA-124. With microRNA-124, they saw some similarities and differences across the two models. Both models showed reduced APP gene expression with the microRNA-124 mimic. As for differences, in the sushi cell model, microRNA-124 mimic caused neurite outgrowth, mitochondrial activation, and small amyloid beta oligomer reduction. On the other hand, in the iPSC model, there is reduced tau phosphorylation. MicroRNA signatures in the cells versus the exosomes were also different. There was an increase in levels of microRNA-124, 125b, 21, but only microRNA-124 was transported to the exosomes. In the exosomes, the microRNA-124 mimic mostly downregulated microRNA-125b, 21, 146a, and 155, but on introducing a microRNA-124 inhibitor, microRNA-146a was upregulated in both models. Although microRNA-124 levels were found to be dependent on the type of AD model being used, the underlying point may be that keeping its levels controlled is important for proper function. Here's another paper on microRNAs. Specifically, this one is on microRNA-425. This is our 14th paper for the episode, titled MicroRNA-425 Loss Mediates Amyloid Plaque Microenvironment Heterogeneity and Promotes Neurodegenerative Pathologies. The first and last authors are Hu and Wang from Shanghai Jiaotang University School of Medicine and Tongzhi University in China. It was published in the journal Aging Cell. The authors' hypothesis here was that changes in the levels of this microRNA in amyloid plaques are linked to classic AD pathologies, including neuronal death, inflammation, and lysosomal dysfunction. They suspect that this is through the formation of a heterogeneous brain microenvironment, which they call amyloid plaque-associated microenvironment, or ACAM for short. In healthy brains, this microRNA is normally transcribed. However, it is decreased in the AD brain. This loss, they believe, is associated with increased mRNA targets downstream, facilitating an amyloid plaque-associated microenvironment. They tested this out using microRNA-425 deficient mouse model. These mice showed increased neuronal loss, inflammation, APP amyloidogenic processing, and cognitive impairment. When the mice were given microRNA-425 supplementation, these conditions improved. This study, among others, could thus be a step in the right direction of developing microRNA oligos for AD treatment. We're getting a bit more technical with the next section of methods-based papers that showcase the development of new models and analysis methods to probe gene expression and new gene disease associations in the context of Alzheimer's disease. Paper number 15 will start us off with a deep learning method. The title is Unified AI Framework to Uncover Deep Interrelationships Between Gene Expression and Alzheimer's Disease Neuropathologies. It was published in the journal Nature Communications. The first author is Bib Wang, and the last author is Lee, from University of Washington in Seattle in the U.S. In this paper, the researchers present a new method called MDAD, which is short for Multitask Deep Learning for AD Neuropathology. This method takes advantage of the power of deep neural networks, which can capture conflict relationships between variables, and applies that to multi-cohort studies. Oftentimes, these kinds of joint analyses are hampered by conventional statistical methods, which while capturing cohort-level variations, tend to miss subtle disease signals. 
MDAD may be able to address these limitations by including related phenotypes sparsely measured across cohorts and learning how genotypes and phenotypes are connected, sometimes in a nonlinear fashion. This way, MDAD is able to identify these subtle disease signals that can further be explored in the lab. Specific to AD, the authors use this method to study sex-specific relationships between microglial immune responses and neuropathology to better understand the link between inflammation genes and AD. From AI, we're transitioning to a more statistical model that tries to improve our prediction abilities for gene disease associations. This is paper number 16, and the title is Bridging Heterogeneous Mutation Data into Enhanced Disease Gene Discovery. It was published in the journal Briefings in Bioinformatics. The first and last authors are Xiao and Jia from Huazong Agriculture University in China. In this research study, the authors propose a gene disease association prediction by mutation data bridging pipeline with a statistical generative model. This pipeline combines heterogeneous mutation data from 1. GWAS studies that identify disease-related genes with significant p-values, and 2. Mutation type information, for example, loss or gain of function, from literature through text mining. So why is this pipeline unique, you may ask? From what I understand, a number of GWAS mutations fail to pass the p-value cutoff simply due to differences in size and quality of GWAS studies. These mutations may, however, be biologically important and may have evidence that supports their functionality in the literature. This pipeline recovers these false negative GWAS mutations that fail to pass the p-value cutoff, but have evidence of functional biological processes in the literature. It then integrates this information to predict gene disease association. So they applied this model to AD and predicted 79 disease-associated genes, 12 of which were from the original GWAS, 60 were found to be AD-related from literature or other GWAS, and the rest were newly predicted genes. This seems to be a new method, so give the paper a read if you're interested. We touched on the topic of differential expression earlier in the show. Now we're getting into the regulation of gene expression and epigenetics with the next section. First up, we have paper number 17 titled, The Prolyl Isomerase PIN1 is essential for nuclear lamin B structure and function and protects heterochromatin under mechanical stress. You can find this paper in the journal Cell Reports. The first author is Napolitano, and the last author is Del Sal, from the University of Trieste in Italy. This abstract goes on a bit of a tangent from our episode theme. We're not specifically talking about the processes in the central dogma here, but rather about certain regulatory mechanisms surrounding it. A little background to begin with. Heterochromatin, which is basically just tightly packed DNA, is vital in eukaryotic cells, and its dysregulation has been linked to age-related diseases like Alzheimer's disease. It is composed of segments of DNA that can jump around the genome, called transposable elements, and heterochromatin is crucial to restrain undesired transposable elements from being expressed and mobilized, which can generate harmful mutations. Here we look at mechanisms regulating heterochromatin structure under pathological conditions. The authors describe PIN1, which is a phosphorylation-specific cis-trans isomerase, whose loss is related to aging and is important for preserving heterochromatin structure. They found that PIN1 function is conserved from fruit flies to humans, and it also prevents unwanted mobilization of transposable elements that can cause neurodegeneration. They claim that it does so by maintaining nuclear type B lamin structure, and also by anchoring heterochromatin protein 1-alpha. 
They believe that this mechanism prevents alterations to the nuclear envelope and relaxation of heterochromatin, which are causative of age-related pathologies. Paper number 18 takes us from heterochromatin to epigenetic RNA modifications. The title is, Met-L3-dependent RNA-M6A dysregulation contributes to neurodegeneration in Alzheimer's disease through aberrant cell cycle events. This paper can be found in the journal Molecular Neurodegeneration. The first and last authors are Xiao and Zhu from Case Western Reserve University in the United States. These researchers studied the N6-methyladenosine modification, specifically its regulation and impact on AD-related deficits in vitro and in vivo. I'll refer to this modification as M6A. Some background on M6A. This is the most common RNA modification in eukaryotic cells. The abundance of M6A increases with age, and its dysregulation has been associated with neurodegeneration and cognitive loss. Here they found that neuronal M6A levels and levels of the enzyme M6A methyltransferase-like 3, or metal 3, were reduced in AD brains. The authors report that metal 3 knocked on experiments with subsequently decreased M6A modification showed reduced memory, increased synaptic loss, neuronal death, oxidative stress, and cell cycle alterations. Conversely, when they inhibited oxidative stress or the cell cycle, they found that metal 3 induced apoptosis and neuronal damage were reduced. Additionally, inhibiting the demethylation of M6A restored normal cell cycle events and prevented neuronal deficits and cell death by metal 3 knockdown. In vitro studies showed that soluble A-beta reduced metal 3 expression and caused cognitive impairment and synaptic damage. However, this was rescued by metal 3 overexpression. Looking at this data together, the authors conclude that M6A dysregulation mediated by decreases in metal 3 might have a causal role in AD. The last paper of this episode didn't really fit into our previous themes, but not to worry, we didn't forget about it. The title of paper 19 is Association Between Chronic Periodontitis and the Risk of Alzheimer's Disease, Combination of Text Mining and Geodataset. The first and last authors are Jiang and Wang from Xiamen University in China, and this paper was published in the BMC Oral Health Journal. This might sound a little random or far-fetched, but this study draws a connection between chronic periodontitis and Alzheimer's disease. Chronic periodontitis is a chronic oral infection or inflammatory disease that has been indicated as a comorbidity of AD. Although both diseases have inflammation in common, the cross-links between chronic periodontitis and AD are still poorly understood. The authors here aim to fill some of this knowledge gap. What they did was extract differentially expressed genes from three AD expression datasets and intersect them with chronic periodontitis genes obtained from text mining. This gave them an integrated list of differentially expressed genes. They performed further enrichment using David analysis and constructed protein-protein networks. Lastly, they identified hub genes using the M-code of Cytoscape software. From their analyses, they identified key intersected genes, some of which they mentioned in their abstract. They also found top signaling cascades related to neuronal differentiation, leading edge membrane, and receptor ligand activity. Finally, they verified their results using a validation cohort and found 22 GO terms and one pathway which was ECM receptor interaction pathway, that they shared in common. They hope that these molecular markers can lead to treatment of AD in the future. And that's another episode for the books. If you heard any new science that perked your ears up and got you excited, 
Please check out the show notes where you'll find the bibliography for each of the papers mentioned in this episode in the order that I presented them. We also have bibliographies for every episode released each month, and also topics that we couldn't fit into an episode this month. You can find links to all of these in the show notes. Tune into our September series every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And if you like the show, we would really appreciate it if you could leave us a review wherever you listen. If the app that you use doesn't let you leave reviews, a great place to leave us a review is on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Each and every review means a lot to us, and they really help us to spread the word about our podcast to reach new listeners, so more researchers out there can benefit from our episodes. I usually host the Synaptic Changes in AD episodes every month, so come hang with me for September's show. That's number 222. For updates on our podcast, or if you just want to reach out, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. We love hearing your feedback. We also are always looking to grow our podcast, so if you're interested in joining the Aminder team, please send us an email with your CV or reach out to us on one of our social media platforms. And lastly, a big thank you to the whole team that put this episode of Aminder together. Specifically, thank you to the whole sorting team for sorting the papers into categories, Marcia Jude for summarizing the abstracts, Alex Pavel for reviewing the script, Michelle Grover for audio editing, Ellen Kosh for reviewing the recorded episode post-production, Laura Anbasi for the bibliography, and Sarah Laudy for generating the word cloud that you see on your screen. And last but not least, thanks again to the Canadian Consortium on Neurodegeneration and Aging for their support. The music you've heard in this episode is by Anusha Kamesh. You can find more of her music on YouTube under AK Music or on SoundCloud under her name. We hope you find this podcast useful and accessible. Thanks for listening.